Okay. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Jeremy, and I'm the student pastor here. Uh, that's probably one of our students. So thank you for that. I am uh, super honored and excited to be here this morning to be able to open up the word with you guys. It is my first time teaching in what I like to call big church. Uh, I get to hang out in student ministry a whole lot and teach a lot there, but this is the first time up here on this big stage. And so I am equally as thrilled as I am sweaty under this jacket. Uh, so I'm just thankful to be here. We're going to be continuing on our series in Deuteronomy this morning, and we're going to be looking at two parallel passages, one in chapter 6 and one in chapter 8. So if you want to go ahead and flip there in your Bibles, that's the fifth book of the Bible over there in the Old Testament. I'll give you just a minute to f- uh, find that, and while you do, I'm going to give you a little bit of context as to where we are at um, in the book of Deuteronomy, then also with the nation of Israel. So we're going to be looking at uh, the story of God's people here, the Israelites, and they are soon going to be crossing over the Jordan River, which is going to put them into the promised land. Now, this is going to come at the end of their um, time in the wilderness, which was 40 years, and after their uh, freedom from slavery in Egypt. So they had 400 years of uh, slavery, 40 years of wilderness, wandering, and now they are finally to the land that they had been promised. So to say that they are excited would probably be an understatement. And so they are about to enter into this land, and we have two different passages here where Moses is instructing the nation of Israel uh, a few things to remind themselves as they are entering into this promised land. I'm going to summarize it before we read from chapter 6 because it is a little bit lengthy. Uh, but like I said, these two passages, they kind of parallel each other. And in each of them, Moses is giving them the instruction of, hey, you are about to enter into this promised land. You are about to uh, have access to houses uh, that are going to be filled with goods. You are going to have um, lands that are already uh, ready for harvest. You're going to have vineyards that are already grown, and you get to reap the benefits of that. There's going to be uh, cattle. There's going to be all sorts of livestock. There's going to be money and silver. And the Lord is going to give all of this to you, but don't forget the Lord. So when you get and you receive all of this, don't forget the Lord. Don't forget it is he who gave it to you. And, and so whether you're um, here in person or online, we're super glad uh, that you're here. If you wouldn't mind standing with me, we're going to read um, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 19. It says this, starting in verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off of the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all of your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you uh, for this passage that we have this morning of the instructions that you gave to Moses that he is giving to the Israelites and also to us that as we walk into times of abundance, God, that we do not forget you who have delivered us out of the hard times. God, we pray that this message, um, we take it and we, um, we live it out, that we remember you in all the things that we do. We love you and we can't wait to see you. It's in your name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you so much. So again, Moses, in, this, in these two passages we're gonna be looking at, is reminding the people in this abundance don't forget the Lord, which is where we get our sermon title from this morning, Remember the Lord. And as I was preparing this message, this was a passage that Pastor Jim uh, gave to me, and as I was preparing this, I was struck by the grace and the faithfulness of God in my own life. As I was thinking about all the things that God had done for the nation of Israel, I started to think about all the things that God has done um, in my life. And like I said earlier, this is my first message ever in big church. Uh, you guys are, are the grown-ups that I'm always referring to when talking to the student ministry. And, uh, but this isn't my first time on this stage. Uh, I have been on this stage for years and years and years uh, for various different things. So my family started to first come here in 2000. And so growing up from a kid, we had something called SMAC, which was Summer Musical Academy for Kids. And so I was on stage doing that in elementary and a little bit in middle school. Um, I was on stage for Awanas. I grew up doing VBS. When our seniors graduate each year, we parade them up here in front of you, and we call that Graduate Sunday, so I get to come up with them and say their names. Um, and we've been on mission trips, uh, my wife and I and my family, and so we've been up here and we've been commissioned to go out. And so uh, this is, the stage is nothing new to me, but this, in this context is, is very different and honestly frightening. Uh, but more than just church activities, these buildings and you that we call Hillcrest you guys have had a tremendous impact on my personal life. So that was my spiritual life and my spiritual development where all these things that I've been a part of through the church, um, but my personal life has been affected so much by you guys. In fact, I met my wife down in the student center, which is just out these doors down the hall where I get to work each week. Um, and I actually proposed to her basically in this very same spot that I'm standing. And I think we have a picture of this back in 2016, a bunch of babies. Um, and I proposed to her here on this stage and we were married at our Spanish trail uh, campus um, in 2016. And uh, just to, I don't know, it's just super cool. I was ordained here on this stage. I was given this Bible that I get to teach from, um, from Pastor Jim. And then to bring it full circle, we had our firstborn, a baby girl, Eleanor Grace, and we got to dedicate, dedicate her back in March. And so this is us at the dedication service. Eleanor's having a great time, clearly. She's, she's just praying, you know, she's just such a good, you know. So good. Uh, she is super sweet. She's now nine months old and uh, just blessed by that. But the Lord has been so faithful to me and my family. And it's really neat looking back over the years of being here at Hillcrest and being here with you guys and seeing what the Lord has done. And I'm actually gonna head over to a very specific spot here on the stage. This is a newer stage. We updated this within the last year or two. Uh, but before that, there was like a gray carpeted stage and the steps kind of ended Right around over here. Okay, this is my spot. So in 2001, we were building this sanctuary. And as we were building it, before we had the opportunity to lay down carpet, the um, kids ministry got to come in here and we got to write scripture verses on the steps before we put down the carpet. And the idea was 
let's write down some scripture that we can like pray over the pastor who's gonna be preaching, pray over the audience that will be listening and in attendance. And I'm in first grade, and I, honestly, I don't remember what I wrote. Um, it's a solid chance it was John 3.16, which is a phenomenal verse, but I didn't, I didn't have a lot of scripture memorized in first grade. And so somewhere over here on these right side of the steps, I wrote down a passage of scripture, and I prayed that, and my first grade brain over the future speakers that would be on this stage and the audience that would be receiving that word. And as I was preparing this, I was sharing this with Brianna, and I was like, I'm gonna go stand on this spot because I prayed over this spot, like, what is that, 21 years ago, and I had no idea at that time that I would be one of the people on this stage. And if you would have ever asked me my plans in the future, I think that time it was to be a professional baseball player, and I kind of fell short of that, um, but... Uh, <laughs> because of my height also, but here, uh, here we are here. But I was just thinking like, the Lord is so good. I had no idea that I was praying over my, my future message and the Lord is so good and he, he has so much grace and he's so faithful. And this is what Moses is reminding the Israelites is that, hey, think about what the Lord has done for you in the past so don't forget him in the future. The Lord has brought us to this moment, to this spot in your life, and you can probably look back and see moments where the Lord was clearly working. So let's not forget that, and that's what Moses is reminding them, because remembering the Lord is essential to our spiritual health, and this morning we're actually gonna break these passages down into four different actions and instructions that Moses gave the people of God so that they could remember and so that we could remember as well. Our first point this morning is that we need to remember God's mighty acts. So this comes from uh, verses 10 through 12 in chapter six. I'm gonna reread these, and then as we go along through these points, we're gonna glance over to chapter eight um, as we use those as well. So verses 10 through 12 in chapter six say this. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." The first thing that Moses does in this passage here is that he reminds the Israelites of the faithfulness through generations. He starts by naming Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these, these great forefathers and leaders of this nation, and he reminds them that says, hey, remember, the Lord made this promise to Abraham, and it may not have worked out in our timing, but the Lord is going to see it through to the end, and, and you are reaching this land that has been promised and you may have liked for it to be a little bit less than 40 years of wandering in the desert, but the Lord has his plan and his timing is perfect. But these verses also containing a warning against Israel about complacency when they enter the promised land. It says that they're about to enter into a land of abundance. And when you contrast that with the time that they had in Egypt and slavery, and then the time that they had in the wilderness at 40 years of wandering, they're about to walk into a land where all of their physical needs will be met with an abundance, with leftovers. So they are about to experience bounty and prosperity in a way that they've never experienced before and also out of other people's personal investments. They're not even doing the work and they're about to receive this. The Lord is going to be giving it to them. The Lord is going to bless them abundantly. And we also see this in chapter eight and verse 11 through 13. It says, take care. 
lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. I'm gonna pause right there for just a second. Again, it's showing that you are gonna be eating and be full, your herds and your flocks will be multiplied. There's silver and there's gold, like they are about to live in abundance. And then picking back up in verse 14, going through 16, it says, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and its scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness, with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. There's all of this abundance that Moses is describing, but with that abundance comes this warning. Don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of slavery, who brought you through the wilderness. And Moses is also pointing out how God was a daily provider through all of these times as he is explaining the time in the wilderness and the time in captivity, Moses is pointing out that God doesn't just do big things. He doesn't just free them out of slavery and say, go, you know, you're good, you're free. No, you see that God gave them bread every single day, manna in the wilderness. He gave them water when they were thirsty. He led them by fire and by smoke through the dangerous wilderness, pointing out that Israel has always depended on God and so they still need to continue to do so. If not, they would fall into a spot of pride. And pride is the opposite of faith. Pride is trusting in ourselves. And if we become prideful with prosperity, we can also very quickly become forgetful. There's actually a proverb that I think is really fitting for this. It's Proverbs 30, verses seven through nine, and it says this. Two things I ask of you. This is a call out to God. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is a difficult verse uh, to kind of live in our hearts and, and to live out because what he's saying is saying, give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't wanna be rich, I don't wanna be poor. Feed me what is only needful for me, nothing more or nothing less. He's saying, God, give me exactly what I need. I don't want too much and I don't want too little because I don't wanna lose sight of you, but if you give me exactly what I need, then that means that every day I depend on you. And if every day I depend on you, I won't forget you and I will follow you. That should be our daily expectation, to remember what the Lord has given us and know that we can continue to depend on that to come. The second instruction that Moses gave was for us to revere the Lord for who he is. This is coming from chapter six, verse 13, which reads, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name shall you swear. Now the word fear here is used in reference to like an authority figure. So for example, um, let's talk about law enforcement officers and let's talk about the speed limit for, for one minute. So to fear law enforcement means that you put a great weight upon the consequences that you will experience if you break the law. I actually just made con eye contact with Chris Forehand in the back and so I know that he understands his working in law enforcement. To fear authority means to have a proper 
respect for this authority and understanding that the consequences are not something that you wanna take part of. So for example, in order to understand this, let's, let's imagine that there is a, a speed limit of 45 miles an hour that you're driving in. So number one, you understand the law. You understand that the law has been put in place. You see it, it says 45 miles an hour. You look down, you're going 70, right? Um, that's gonna be a problem, okay? You understand the law. Number two, in order to have a healthy fear for this law, you need to believe that the law will be enforced. You need to believe that there are officers around in your vicinity that if they catch you going 70 in a 45, that they will take action upon your actions, all right? And the third thing is you need to believe the consequences of disobedience are not worth the disobedience itself. So when you realize you're going 70 in a 45, or as you reach a zone that says 45, you realize I don't wanna go faster than 45 because I truly believe that I will and can get caught for this, and the consequences of that fine and or jail at 70 in a 45, I don't know, um, but the consequences of that are not worth it. The same thing applies to the Lord, you know and we should know the law and we should understand that obedience is worth way much more than disobedience. That we do not wanna get into a spot of where we are disobeying the Lord knowing that we will reap the consequences of that. It's not this fear out of um, scaredness, it's this fear out of respect for knowing what is right and what is good and choosing to do so. It also says in this passage that we are to swear by his name, which is, again, to reemphasize the final authority that God has. It's to say that I'm not gonna swear by anything else, no one else's name, I'm gonna live my life by the Lord's name, and in his name I will choose to do everything. Jesus believed that God was the ultimate and final authority. In fact, this is actually one of the verses that Jesus uses when being tempted by Satan, which is uh, kind of really neat. We see this go down in Matthew chapter four. You don't have to flip there. Um, but to paint the picture for you, this is at the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry. He was just baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. He goes into this time of fasting. He's actually out in the wilderness kind of on his own and Satan comes and he tempts him. And Satan takes Jesus here in this passage to a high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. And he tells Jesus, he says, Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, all of this will be yours. But Jesus responds with verse 13 from chapter uh, six in Deuteronomy here, and he says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You see, Jesus knows that Satan is offering something that has already been promised to him. This isn't Satan's really to offer. Satan cannot offer this power and authority over all these kingdoms, but God can, and God has, and Jesus understands his role, and he understands the promises of God. Jesus also understands that failure to worship God alone will result in decisive judgment. So Jesus resists the temptations of Satan. We also know, and what Moses is telling us here, is that it's not in our own power to receive these things. As Israel is walking into this promised land, it's not in their own power that they are about to receive these things. And he reiterates this in verses 17 through 18 from chapter eight. It says this, Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And this is again reminding the nation of Israel through these years of slavery and these years of wandering in the wilderness that it is not the Lord that brought them to this point in 
or it is the Lord that's brought them to this point. It's not by their own power and it's not by their own strength. Every single day they depended on God for manna and for water and as they walk into this new land, they're gonna have to continue to depend on God. So he's reminding them, when you get to this spot where you were reaping the benefits of this prosperity in this land which God has blessed you with, never get to a spot where you say, look at what we've done. Look at my power, look at my strength, look at how well I've done. No, we should always take that time to reflect it back to the Lord and say, look what the Lord has done in our lives. But in the end, it's, it's not the wealth, it's not the pros- prosperity, it's not the abundance that is the problem. As you see, it's the attitude. See, wealth and prosperity and abundance mixed with humility is a great blessing, but wealth and prosperity and abundance mixed with pride can be a great evil. You know the people in your lives, and, and, and I pray that you are this person that is blessed abundantly, but you, you give it all back to the Lord. You give all credit to him, and you, you give with your money. But the people um, that are, are prosperous and have this abundance but are prideful, they cling to it. And they don't wanna acknowledge anyone else's work except for their own. I earned this. I deserve this. And that is the issue that Moses is trying to handle with the Israelites here, is to make sure they stay focused on the Lord. To have humility is to remember that it is he who gives us our power and our wealth. This is not for Israel to brag about. It's just further demonstration of another one of God's promises, that he's continuing to take care and bless his people. When Brianna and I were first married in 2016, um, we, we came upon our first Christmas. We were married in May. Um, came upon our first Christmas, and I think it would, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's unfair to say that Brianna and I were rather poor our first year of marriage. Uh, we were re- both working uh, multiple like part-time jobs and just making ends meet. We, uh, we, we made a grand total, submitted this to the IRS at the beginning of that next year of $20,000 in 2016. We were woo, killing it. Uh, we were couponing. And we were taking advantage of all of the free meals that uh, the church offered, that our, grandparents, that our parents offered, that are now grandparents, that our grandparents offered, friends, anything like that. There's a birthday party, there's free food, we're taking it, right? Um, anything to help us make ends meet. But the Lord did. He, he met every need that we ever uh, uh, had. But as we got to Christmas, we got to the month of December, we realized that um, we hadn't budgeted for Christmas. We just honestly didn't have the money in our budget to do so. But we were being as wise with our money as we could. We were following a guy named Dave Ramsey. We were following his advice. Many of you uh, may have done something similar. And we went and got a bunch of white uh, envelopes and every paycheck, we would go to the bank, we would withdraw our paycheck in cash, and then we would put this cash into various envelopes that represented different parts of our budget system. So there was an envelope for gas, there was an envelope for water and trash, there's an envelope for rent and groceries and fun stuff, etc. And so as we would um, come upon a time where it's, uh, we're ready to pay for something, um, so say for example, we were going to go out and we wanted to go out and get some dinner. And it was like, okay, let's see how much money we have in the eating out envelope, right? And so if we get to it, it's like, hey, there's $50 here and it is um, September the 3rd, we gotta, we gotta make this $50 stretch for the rest of the month, right? And that's, that's kind of what it looked like. And so if we came upon a time where our friends were like, hey, let's go to the movies, we would open up our fun envelope, realize that we didn't have any cash left and to be responsible, we had to say, I'm sorry, no, we, we budgeted for so much money for fun stuff, it was $7 for the whole month and we just don't have any more left, right? Uh, that's kind of how it went. And that kept us accountable to our budget so when big expenses, when phone and rent and these things came along, we had that money allotted for it. And so it, it comes 
to Christmas and, and there's not an envelope labeled Christmas. There's no money for Christmas. And it's like, well, I guess we have each other, right? Like that's all we have for Christmas. And uh, what, what we did was we said, hey, you know what? It's December. Um, our budget is gonna restart in January. Let's go through these envelopes and let's see if there's any extra left. So if we know that our water and trash bill is $80, let's look in that envelope. And we, we started opening up these envelopes and found out, okay, oh, in our water and trash bill, there's, there's $90. So that's an extra $10. So let's, let's take that 10 out and let's leave the 80 in there so our bills are covered. Let's take that extra 10 out and let's see, let's see how far this goes. So we start going through our different envelopes and slowly but surely, $5, $10, $20, we started adding to this pile of, cash and at the end like there's a there's a sizable amount of cash here I mean it's mostly like fives ones and tens uh, but there's a large pile of cash here and um, as Brian and I kind of we stopped and we're looking at this and we said hey let's count it up we kind of had a number in our minds of like this is bare minimum we have a lot of family and everyone lives in town and we have a lot of friends like how how do we buy for this and we're like we had a number in our mind and we started counting through this cash and before we even got um, through with this, we just started becoming overwhelmed uh, with just joy and, and tears. I'm not gonna lie, we started crying because as we started going through this, we realized that there was more money in this excess than what we even needed for Christmas. And we just, we stopped in that moment because we, there was no way that we did that. There was no way that we worked really hard because in November that money wasn't there, but now we're just a few days into December and it is. We 100% believe to this day that the Lord physically put cash in our envelopes. I, I, he got into our safe at night and just put a little bit of fives and ones in there. And that's the only logical like, reason for there being money and for there to be an abundance. We were on a shoestring budget. There was no money to be left over, but yet the Lord blessed us. And so what we did was we blessed our families and our friends and then we gave extra to the church that month because we realized that this was nothing that we've done in our own power, our own strength, but the Lord has given us a sweet gift so we wanna bless others around us. And it wasn't a lot of money, but it was one of those clear times in our lives that Brandon and I will always look back and say, the Lord did this. And if he was faithful then, then he will continue to be faithful in the future. The third instruction that Moses gives is to refrain from following other gods. This is gonna come from verses 14 and 15 from chapter six, which read, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off of the face of the earth. Moses is pointing out that the Lord is unique and he is exclusive, and we are not to follow other gods, especially for the Israelites, those of the neighboring nations, because God is a jealous God. But I wanna be clear, I don't want us to misunderstand the word jealous here, because usually when I think about the word jealous, I think about being envious of someone else's belonging, something that doesn't belong to me, like my desire for those things. But that's not possible for God, because God created everything. So everything is his, everything belongs to him, so he's not jealous in that way, but it does mean that God demands loyalty from us, from his creation, because God created us to be in a relationship with him. And when we take our attention and our hearts and we start to put it in a different direction, God demands loyalty and he becomes jealous of our attention because he created us for that relationship which has been broken because of sin. Let's also read verse 19 from chapter eight. It says, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. 
God wanted and deserves their complete devotion and loyalty. And so if they forgot, he would wipe them off the face of the earth. And we know that God is true to these things as well because we also have the flood in Genesis. But this does not mean that God's going to break his promise that he made to this nation, but it does mean that in their disobedience, he might destroy a generation and start Israel anew. As we've seen, the Lord's timing is his timing. And so he's gonna fulfill this promise eventually, but this generation that he's talking to right now may not see this or receive the benefits of this promise if they continue in disobedience. And so Moses is instructing them and us to acknowledge the Lord as the one true God because all the other idols are false gods without any power. And as the one true God, he does have the right to demand this exclusive loyalty from us. The final instruction that Moses gives to Israel is to respect the Lord. This comes from verses 16 through 19 in chapter six. Let's read those as well. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. The Israelites here are instructed not to put the Lord to the test as they did at Massa. Now this is a time when they were in the wilderness and they became thirsty. And so instead of trusting God to meet their needs, the Bible says that they grumbled against God. They tested God and asked him to prove himself by giving them water. He, they demanded water and instead of testing, rather than testing and doubting, we are commanded to trust and obey. That's what Moses is reminding them again. Do not test and doubt the Lord, trust and obey, like the old hymn says. Again, what's unique about this passage is that for a second time, this is another verse that Jesus used when talking with Satan. This is another one of the temptations that the devil lays before Jesus, and this is when Satan told Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple and that the angels would rescue him. This is a test that God had laid out that he promised to protect his people from harm. And yes, while God does promise to protect his children, we are not supposed to coerce God in doing so because that would be us turning God into a slave or into our puppet. Be like, okay, God, you promised this, then do it. No, that is not our job. That is not our responsibility. That's not our position in this relationship. We cannot coerce God to do this. And the same applied to Israel when they demanded God give them water. And so as they enter into this promised land, Moses is reminding them, you need to trust and obey. And for, for us and for them to have success and longevity, we need to adhere diligently to the Lord. Because it's very clear here that if, if we obey, we will receive success. They, the nation of Israel, will receive success. But in disobedience, we will receive punishment. In verse 18, Moses instructs us to do what is right and what is good. And what is right is Israel's heart posture. 
It's this attitude, it's this mindset of we're gonna continue to follow the Lord and what is good is gonna be the conquest of the land and these two hand in hand show the covenant that God has created with his people is that you follow me and I will deliver this to you and together you depend on me, I will continue to bless you. However, if they disobey, there are consequences, which is what we read in verse 20 of chapter eight. It says, like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. When I read this verse, uh, I kind of imagine the southern voice of my mama, who says, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. And, uh, and that was something that I kind of heard a few times growing up. Um, so you can kind of tell what type of a child I was at certain times. But it's this idea of, and, and it's the same idea that my mom implemented that came straight from the Lord. It's God created everything and he can take it away. And he can take away our lives as well. And that's what he's telling the nation of Israel here. There's this theme all throughout the Old Testament where God is interacting with his people and he summarizes it and he says, I'm gonna be your God and you are gonna be my people. So what I want is for you to live in obedience and when you do, I will bring you success. And in your success, everyone around will know that I am God and that you are my people. However, if you disobey, I will bring punishment but still everyone else around will know that I am the one true God and you are my people. Rather in obedience or disobedience, he is going to be made known through his people. And unfortunately, the people did disobey the instructions from Moses. They were exiled from the land and many of them died, but they still remained God's people. And they always will be and we always will be and the Lord is gonna continue to fulfill his promises regardless of their disobedience which is what eventually leads us to the perfect gift of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect contrast with the nation of Israel. You see all all of the commands, all of the rules that Israel failed at, Jesus succeeded. Israel lived a life of selfishness but Jesus gave up his life in selflessness. Israel worshiped other gods, but Jesus remained faithful to his death and through his resurrection. You know, it's interesting here when you look at Satan's temptations of Jesus while also considering Israel's failures. All of Jesus's temptations from Satan were offering Jesus something that he'd already been promised. And the Israelites were finding themselves in the same spot. They were falling for the temptations of sin and flesh when they had already received promises of God for those exact things. God made a a covenant promising to provide for his people. He promised to deliver them and to prosper them in numbers and to give them land and to eventually give them a king of kings. However, because of sin and because of our sin, they and we continue to fall short, which is why we needed Jesus and why we still need him today. You see, we see Jesus resist the temptation of the devil and now that we have his spirit as Christians when we accept him into our lives and we now have his power within us, we should also resist the same thing. We shouldn't fall for the temptation of the devil and sin when we have the promises of God. God still rewards obedience and he still disciplines disobedience of his children. 
but God does all of this in love. But his priority is not our material comfort. His priority is our spiritual well-being. And to have spiritual, to have a strong spiritual well-being, we need to learn to depend on God who is dependable rather than ourselves who are broken by sin. God's purpose for his actions are to bless his people and us. So therefore, we choose to remember the Lord. We remember his mighty acts. We revere him for who he is. We refrain from other gods and we respect him because he has proven himself through generations and he is worthy of these things. I have one last final verse to share with you guys. It's Romans 8, chapter six, or chapter eight, verse six. It says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. This is the reminder of how much we need Jesus because without him, we, our nature is flesh, which leads to death, but with Jesus and his spirit, we have life and peace. This is Moses' reminder to these people of We can't do this on our own. On our own, we will fall prey to our sin and our fleshly desires. But if we depend on God, this is what he has laid out and these are his promises to us. This is the abundance that he is gonna pour into our lives. And it may not always be material things, but God is going to continue to pour out his abundance into our lives when we remain faithful to him. This is our desire as we are contemplating back on times in our lives when we can go to a spot in our lives where we can say, the Lord was faithful then. He's going to continue to do so. I know that what he has done, he will continue to do. And we sang that last song, isn't the name of Jesus all we need? And yes, that's exactly what we need. And it is all that we need because by ourselves, we end up like the nation of Israel, scattered, deserted, killed, exiled from the land. But with Christ, we receive life and peace and we receive it abundantly. We have to set ourselves aside and realize that God's plan is better than our other plans. And so then when we come to a hard time in our life or even when we're about to walk into abundance in either situation, we remember the Lord. We say, Lord, you've been faithful to us in the past. We know that you will be faithful in the future. So we remember you. And that's our challenge on a daily basis with everything that we do, with every word that we say, with every action that we take to remember the Lord, to depend on him for our daily food, our daily water, for our daily success. This is a great challenge that Moses gave to the nation of Israel. And it's a great challenge for us today still Remember the Lord, remember what Jesus has done and remember that we need him.